Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. How many of y'all have a junk drawer at your house? At least one. You've got at least one. Maybe you've got one in every room. Maybe you've got one in every dresser. I, I do have one in my dresser. My top dresser drawer is my junk drawer. There is, there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's HDMI cables for some odd reason. Uh, there's batteries in there. There's light bulbs in there. There's random gun parts in there that don't go to anything. Uh, there's just all kinds of stuff in there. And all of us have a junk drawer. Some drawer where the stuff we don't really know where to put just goes. That's where the scissors are and the rubber bands are and the, the twine for some odd reason are. And just everything's in there. And the worst part about a junk, drunk, junk drawer is when you open up the junk drawer to grab your batteries, you don't know if they're dead or good. Because in my house, people tend to take out the dead batteries and instead of putting them in the garbage, put them back in the junk drawer. So then they get out and they're like, oh, we're out of batteries. Oh, you shouldn't have kept filling up the junk drawer junk with bad batteries. Now you're stuck not watching TV. I don't care. But we all have this, this junk drawer in our house where just odds and ends things go. We can go to and pull it out if we need to, playing cards and all that type of stuff. We also have a prayer drunk, junk drawer. Man, that is hard to say. A prayer junk drawer. Someone comes up to us and says, hey, would you pray for me? And maybe they have a situation that explains your situation or just say, I just need you to pray for me. And we have these, these phrases that we run to our prayer junk drawer and pull out to use as we're praying to God for these other believers. We, we say stuff like, God be with them. What does that mean even? I mean, God's omnipresent, right? So God's always with it. If they're a believer, the Holy Spirit's living inside of them. So God is with them. So why are we praying, God, be with them? Or we say, God, help them. You know, God's always helping us. Or here's my favorite. Here's the one we all go to. God bless them. We're, all, we're already blessed beyond measure. And someone comes to you and says, I've got this great burden. And our prayer is, God bless them. Or God watch over them. To me, that one's creepy. It's like God's, you know, kind of hiding behind the bushes, peeking at us, making sure Roki is spying on us. He's like Santa Claus. He knows when we're sleeping. He knows when we're awake. And so we have these kind of just random phrases. Or, you know, Lord, give them traveling mercies. You know, the Waldocks, they're on furloughs. They're traveling around the country. And so I'm sure people all around the country are praying, God, give them traveling mercies. You know that phrase, traveling mercies, is nowhere in Scripture. I don't even know what it means. Make sure they don't get in a traffic jam. Make sure they hit all the, the green lights. Avoid all the, all the cop you know, speed traps. That, what, what is traveling mercies? But there's these kind of Christianese phrases that we go to and we pull them out. And in Ephesians 1, 
Paul, of course, we saw for several weeks how he, he begins Ephesians 1, telling us who we are in Christ and, and the wonderful privileges we have as a believer that we're accepted, we're adopted, we're loved, we're chosen, we're, we're, we have all the spiritual blessings in high places. And he gives us just incredible things that we are because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as we put our faith in him and we are in Christ, these incredible things that we are. And then in chapter 15, he starts telling us how we should pray for other believers. Insight on how we can pray for each other. Insight on how we can be better equipped to specifically and strategically pray for each other. So we're not just pulling out the Lord bless them prayer. We're not pulling out the, again, my favorite, put a hedge of protection around them. Don't know what, why we need to do a hedge. You know, if you're going to pray some protection around me, I want like a, a fortress wall with, with 50 caliber machine guns on the corners making sure I'm safe. I don't want a hedge. Hedges are easily gotten through. But we, we pray these kind of just Christianese prayers. And so Paul is telling us how we can better pray for each other. So look in verse, uh, chapter 1, starting verse number 15. We looked at verse 15 and 16 last week. He says, Wherefore... Again, wherefore, we, it's because of, he goes, because of all these things we are, because we are chosen, because we are adopted, because we are accepted, because we are the beloved, because we, we are heirs to God, because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, because of all these things we have of who we are in Christ, because of that, wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And we're going to focus on verse 17 tonight. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now the phrase we're going to focus on is the phrase that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That's the, the phrase we're going to look at tonight. And so what, what Paul is doing here is he has given us some truth, some, some language that we can go to when we're praying for other people. Instead of pulling out the Lord bless them and Lord put a hedge of protection around them prayers, we can specifically and strategically pray for these other believers. And I want to focus on something that Paul teaches when we pray for each other. And look, there are lots of ways for you to pray. You can, you can pray for yourself, and you should pray for yourself. You should be able to go before God with your own burdens and your own problems and cast your care upon God. We, could, we should pray for the lost. That God would help us reach them. That God would, when we send out these gospel tracts and the mail to the junk, the junk mailers, that we pray, God, be with these tracts and help someone read this tract and understand the gospel and understand the new salvation. And Lord, use this tract to help them understand that they need to be saved and help them be saved through this. Because the Bible says the word of God doesn't return void. And you can pray that to God. God, you say your word doesn't return void. So Lord, bless this word and help whoever reads it understand. We should pray for the lost. We should pray for God's will. We should pray for God's will in our life, God's will in the life of the church, God's will in the lives of others. But this text here, it deals with how we pray for other believers. So Paul, he is showing us some things that we need to remember and we need to think about as we pray for other believers. And here's what he's telling us. 
Always remember the person we pray to. Always remember the person that you're praying to. When we pray, remember who you're praying to. Paul uses phrases in verse 17 to describe the one who was the object of our prayer. He says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now remember the first 14 verses, they explain who we are in Christ because of salvation. And now he is teaching that because of who we are in Christ, we as believers, because of Christ, because of all those things, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we are invited into the presence of God to pray. Think about that. When we pray, too many of us don't really grasp who we're talking to when we pray. We know we're talking to God, but we treat it so flippantly. Because you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the privilege to come into the very presence of God. Because of Christ, you have access to God the Father. You don't need anybody else. You don't need a priest. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a spiritual guru. Because of Christ, you can come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you can talk to him. And he will listen to you. How many of us have people in our lives we wish we could talk to and listen to us? I know a lot of people would love to talk to, maybe not this president specifically, but anytime we're like, I wish I could tell the president what I think. And none of us, chances are, will ever get the chance to talk to a president at all, even former ones. They're not going to have to listen to us. We wouldn't be able to go into their presence and tell them what we think and tell them what we think. They're not going to listen to us. Most of us have a hard time getting our wives or our, our husbands to listen to us. Why would the president do it? But God, the creator God, the Lord of Lords God, the all-supreme, all-powerful God, because of Jesus and who we are in Him, we can walk into His presence and have a conversation with God in prayer. Look what Hebrews says. Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us. Now, the us he's talking to is believers. He says, let us, let believers, let those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, whenever I've, I've, I've memorized that verse or read that verse, I've looked at that word boldly and think it just means I have complete freedom, just I can barge into the throne room of God and let God know what I'm going through and let God know what I think. But that's not what the word boldly means. The word boldly is a Greek compound word. The first half of the word means all or every. The second part means act of speaking. So put it together and it says you can, you can come before God with every act of speaking. That is talking about the freedom and the frankness we have in prayer with God. What that means is, as a believer, I can come before the throne of God and I have freedom in talking with God. I can talk to God about anything. I can talk to God about my burdens. I can talk to God about the trials I'm going through. 
I can talk to God about my struggles in life and the temptations that are constantly weighing me down and the sins that so easily beset me. I can talk to I can go to God and I can talk to him about things that irritate me. And look, he's okay with it. He says, you can come before me about anything you need to talk about. There is nothing that is out of bounds with God. And we all need that in our life. We need someone that we can go to and vent about anything. Look, I have that with April, sort of. I can go to April, and if her mother has upset me, which is very common, I can vent to her about that. If my mother has upset me, I can go to, I can, if the kids are bothering me, I can, if, if work is bothering me, if, if the church or maybe one of you in particular are really just bothering me, I can go to her and I can vent and I can say, they're doing this and it's just irritating me and they're so dumb. I don't say that, but I can say they're doing this and it's bothering me, it's irritating me, I'm concerned about them. And I can vent her, you know, I can vent her about most anybody except her. I can't vent to her about her. I can't say, you're bothering me for this. But I can go to God about that. There is nothing out of bounds when I go to God in prayer. There is nothing off the table. There is no hurt that we can't walk into the presence of God and talk about. There's no trial that we can't walk into the presence of God and talk about. Everything is open for discussion. So because of Jesus, I can go to the throne room of the universe and talk to God about anything at all. There is no protocol for me to get an appointment with God. You can walk into his presence and you can pour your heart out to him. And because of Jesus, I can come right up to God with anything. And that is true in every aspect of my prayer, but especially when praying for each other. There are two phrases that speak to the two different aspects of this promise, that we can come boldly and talk to God about anything. Here's one of them. There is nothing that I can pray for that is too big for our God. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 again, that the God... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing in your life, there is nothing in the life of your children or your spouse or another believer, there is nothing that is too big for God to get involved in. There is nothing outside the scope of his power. The word God here in the Greek is the Greek word theos. And it's it's taken from everyday Greek language. That's why Paul's using this word. Uh, He's using the word theos. But, But the Greek culture was a very polytheistic culture. They had many gods that they prayed to, many gods that they believed in. Remember, Paul is writing to Ephesus. He's writing to people who were saved out of these polytheistic uh, religions. And so he doesn't go to them and say, you can pray to a God. He says, you can pray to the God, the God of all, the one true and living God. When this word is used in the New Testament, it is referring to the Old Testament name for God, 
Elohim. We talked about that this morning. Elohim is the first name ever given to God. In Genesis 1, when it says, in the beginning, God, it's in the beginning, Elohim. Now, Elohim comes from a root word meaning might or strength or power. You can literally say the strong one. Nothing is too big for God. Whatever burden you are carrying, whatever problem is on your heart for others, maybe you have a child that's far away from God. They used to be close to God, they used to be faithful to God, but now they've, they've drifted away and wandered away from God, and they're, they're, they're not in church, they're not close to God anymore, and you're worried about it. That's a heavy burden to carry. Maybe you've got a spouse that has drifted away from God. Maybe they've drifted away from you and the, the, the divorces and final, the relationship's still kind of hanging on by a thread. And that's a heavy burden to carry. Maybe you've got uh, some other burden, a spouse or a friend, that's just a heavy burden on your heart. And God, no matter what you're carrying for other people, no matter what burden you have, God is big enough to handle it. You know how big God is? It would take us seven months if we were to leave tonight and get on a rocket ship and blast off into space and the fastest rocket ship we've ever seen into space. It would take us seven months to get to Mars. That's not terrible long, but who wants to spend seven months in a, in a spaceship, right? Nobody wants to do that. Then you get to Mars and, you know, there's nothing there. So say we wanted to go to the nearest star. It would take us 18,000 years to reach the closest star to our planet. You want to get out of the Milky Way? That's 164,000 years to get outside the Milky Way. You know how long it takes to get to the end of the universe? We don't know. Because we don't know where it is. Because we can't see that far. And all of that was created by God, it's controlled by God, as we saw this morning, God is using all of that as his throne. He sits on the throne of the heavens. Look what the Bible says about God in Isaiah chapter 40. It says, lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things. Look up at the sky. You know, you go out into, you can't do it in, in Roanoke too well, but if you go out into the, the country or go out where there's not a whole lot of light and you look up and the sky is just magnificent. I love going to my mom's house. She lives in Rustburg, and you go out at night and the, the lights are off and there's nothing around and you can just look up and just see just thousands and thousands of stars. Isaiah saying, look up at the sky. Look up at your eyes on high and behold who has created all those things. We, God created all that. But then he says, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he that is strong in power, not one faileth. Isaiah says, man, look up to the stars and see the majesty of God. See all those wonderful stars. God not only created all them, God named all them. And he knows their names. And he keeps them together. He keeps the stars in orbit, and he keeps the universe working. He keeps us where we need to be. All that we see going on, God made, and God is keeping into existence. There is nothing too big for God. And we are invited to come into his presence and lay everything at his feet.
D.A. Carson said this. He said, the first expression reminds us that the one to whom we pray has supremely disclosed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord. All of God's blessings are mediated through his son. More, all of God's new covenant blessings have already been secured for us by his son so that to pray in Jesus' name or to address God as the father of Jesus Christ is to recognize the ground on which God answers such requests Jesus himself. Because of our position in Christ, we have access to the presence of God, and there is nothing that is too big for God. There is no problem that he cannot handle. Your situation is not too big for the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can walk into his presence and know that he can handle it. That he's in control. That he'll take care of it. Oswald Chisandra said this. He said, nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from prayer. That's true because nothing of eternal significance ever happens apart from God. And prayer is talking to God. You know, people say in Christian circles, of course, that there's, there's power in prayer. How many of y'all ever said that or heard that? There's power in prayer. I've said it. That's not true. There is not power in prayer. There is power in the one we pray to. There is power in our Father who we have access to to come to and say, God, I've got a big problem, and God has the power to say, I can take care of that. I can handle it. There is nothing that I can pray for that is too big for God. But there's another truth. There is nothing that I can pray that is too insignificant for God. Insignificant means small or unimportant or too unimportant to be worth consideration. God isn't just available to us for the big stuff. And too many of us think that. We think, well, I'll go to God when stuff really gets bad. I'll go to God when I get the cancer diagnosis. I'll go to God when my finances are a wreck and I have no idea what to do. I'll go to God when my kids have all run off or my spouse has run off and my life's destroyed. When my life is a total and complete mess, I'll go to God. But these little issues, I can handle them myself. The fact is that God, there's nothing too big for him, but there's nothing too insignificant for him. The Bible says he is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he is also the Father of glory. He is your glorious heavenly Father. Glory there in the Greek means the one possessing infinite perfections. He is not just your Father. He is your perfect Father. Now, the word father brings a lot of different images to, to our minds. And some of us have different ideas when we hear the word father. Some of you had a great father and you had a great relationship with your dad. And he just, he, he, he helped you and he raised you and he trained you. And you can go to your dad and you have good, fond memories of that. Some of us didn't. Some of us, our dads weren't that great. Some of you, maybe your dad hurt you. Maybe your dad was absent and you don't know him. 
And so the word father brings a lot of different aspects to us, but it doesn't matter what your earthly father situation is or was, because in Christ, you have a perfect heavenly father in God. And he will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never disappoint you because he is your father. And because the fact that he is our perfect father, we have an incredible promise found in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The word care, the casting all your care, that word care, literally in the Greek means anxiety. How many of y'all have anxiety over some things in your life? We all worry about stuff. Some of it's big. You know, my mom had uh, triple bypass surgery Wednesday, and I was anxious about that. Uh, of course, y'all know she's a Jehovah's Witness, so she doesn't take blood transfusion. So I went down Tuesday night and uh, stayed the night with her to take her to the hospital in the morning. I didn't, I didn't sleep at all because I was, I was anxious about it. And some of, it, some of the stuff we worry about is, is, is big. But most of it's not. Most of the stuff we get anxiety about is, is, is little. It's really in the grand scheme of things. It's insig- Now, I know it's not insignificant to you, and I'm not saying that. But your anxiety that you're getting worried about because the mail didn't run one day or something, you know, we just get upset about all this silly stuff, it's insignificant. And God says you can cast all your anxiety. Because it didn't say casting some of your anxiety. Casting the really important anxiety. Casting the justified anxiety. He says casting all, every single bit of your anxiety upon him, for he careth for it. Now that word careth is a different Greek word than the word care. It means take notice of. Give all your anxiety to God because he's taken notice of you. He pays attention to you. He cares about what you care about. God, the one who sits on the throne, the perfect father, he cares for you. Now, in English, the word anxiety means anything that brings disruption to the mind. Anything that bothers your thoughts. Anything that creeps up and you think, oh, what am I going to do about that? All those little things. God says, they're not little to me. I want to know about them. I want you to bring them to me. I want you to cast them at my feet, and I will take care of them because I take notice of you. No matter how big or no matter how small, if it distracts you, if it causes uneasiness in your spirit, you can bring it to God because he is your father. And we see how good of a father he is in Matthew 7. Verse 7, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. <coughs> For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. Him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man, of, uh, man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Now look, I know <coughs> all the dads here, <coughs> or most of them, and I'm assuming y'all are all good dads. Because I know your kids. And your kids are good ish kids but I can tell your kids are are comfortable and safe so I believe we have some good dads in this church tonight 
I don't believe if any of your sons came to you and said, Dad, I'm hungry, can you make me a sandwich, would say, I'll give you a sandwich and shove a rock in his face. We wouldn't do that. DJ crocked his eyes like he might. But we, we wouldn't, if, if our sons came and said, I'm hungry, can you make me a sandwich, would say, I'll give you a sandwich, pow, just sock him in the face. Now, I joke with my kids. They come and say, hey, Dad, can I have a sandwich? I'm like, I'll give you a knuckle sandwich. But I wouldn't really hit them, you know, probably. But I wouldn't do that. Because I think I'm a good father. And he says, how many of you, if your, your son has four uh, a, a bread, would, would give him a stone? He keeps going. If, or if he asks a fish, would give him a serpent. Dad, would you, would you give me a fish? Oh, here's a snake. You know, it may be funny, but we wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because snakes are, are, are wicked and evil and all need to be annihilated from the earth. I hate snakes. They're, they're wicked. <coughs> but so he's saying, you're a good father. If your son asks for something common, or you'll, you'll be good. You'll, you'll help them. You'll give them what they ask for. And most of us, we try to give our kids the best that we can. We all want our kids to have it better than we did when we were kids. So we, we probably spoil them too much. But he says, if you, then being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much shall your Father, which is in heaven, good give things to them that ask him? Now notice when, when Jesus is talking here, and he's talking about the goodness of God as a good, perfect Father compared to us human fathers who try to be good dads, but we're, we're not good, we're not perfect. We all have that flesh. He doesn't use these great big problems. He doesn't say, how many of you, if your son comes to you and says, Dad, I need a, a liver transplant, wouldn't give them part of your liver. He doesn't he didn't come with these incredible things. He goes, how many of you, if your kid said, Dad, I can have a piece of bread? Little things. Things that are easy to take care of. You know, my kids come and say, Dad, I can have a piece of bread. Yeah, it's right there on the, on the counter. Get you a piece of bread. If it's stale, it's because you left the bag open last time. But these are, these are small, insignificant things. Jesus is saying, as your perfect heavenly father, there is nothing that bothers you that is insignificant to God. We aren't perfect fathers, and we try to give our good things to our kids, but God is a perfect father. How much more will he give to us? There is nothing in your life that God doesn't care about. There is nothing in your life that God looks at and you can come to him and he say, I'm not, I'm not taking care of that. You're bothering me with that? Really with that? You know, I, I did that to Parker this morning. He came to me in a Sunday school and says, Dad, my, my blinker sounds funny. I'm like, what, what do you mean your blinker? It, it sounds click, click, click. I'm like, that's... That's a blinker, son. It's supposed to say click, click, click. He goes, no, it's really, really fast. You know, put it on, it goes click, 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 click. I was like, you got a, you got a dead light in one of your, your blinkers. You need to change that. Well, how do I do that? Well, you go to Advance Auto and you ask for a light for your car, and then you go to YouTube and say, how do I change that? Like, I'll help you, but it's time for you to start learning these things, son. That's, that's too insignificant for me to take a whole day to fix your stupid light bulb. It's time for you to learn how to change your light bulb. See, if I were God... And he came to me and said, my light bulb's broken. The perfect heavenly father would say, well, I let me take care of that for you, son. But I'm not a perfect father, so I'm like, it's time to learn, dude. It's your car. Time to learn how to fix it when it breaks. 
I had to, you have to. There is nothing that you can bring before God that he says, really, can't you? It's time you take care of that yourself. It's time you learn to do this on your own. There is nothing too small for God. It may seem small to others, but God cares about it. As believers, we are invited into the presence of God to pray for other believers on their behalf, for their walk with God, and for their problems. And as we pray, we can know that we are invited into the presence of the one true creator God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect Father, that there is nothing too big for him and there's nothing too small for him. We can bring every problem to him in prayer. And he'll answer us because he takes notice of us.